Hello there and welcome to episode 11 of the Night Gallery podcast. My name's Chris Brown. Uh, today's episode is a notorious one, it's, uh, but not for all the wrong reasons, but it's um, it had a bit of a troubled upbringing. Based on a Rod Serling script, by uh, its original idea of his, uh, and directed by Steven Spielberg. Now, those of you who have listened to the podcast from the start, or indeed know their night gallery, will know that uh, Spielberg directed the second story in the pilot, which was Eyes, featuring uh, Joan Crawford. Um, had Tom Bosley in as well, for those that uh, remember. And um, it was, uh, it's a bit of a classic, but it also divides fans. Now, this story, which is called Make Him Laugh, or Make Me Laugh, is um, similar in that it well it, it doesn't really divide that many fans because it's kind of uniformly disliked quite a lot. Um, the reason for that will become pretty clear later on as I go through it, and the reasons why uh, my opinions on it are the the way they are. Um, but let's start off with talking about the uh, the story. It is about, well, we start in a rather seedy nightclub. Uh, and it's about a strip joint, really, a go-go dance kind of place. Uh, and a, a comic called Jackie Slater is played by, uh, well, it's played by comedian uh, Godfrey Cambridge. And he's in this strip club, and he is bombing. It is just brutal how bad it's going for him. He's very poor, he's kind of, he's very corny as a, com- a comic. And he gets fired from his job, basically, there and then, on his first night because he's so bad at what he's doing. He becomes, um, he gets abandoned by his agent, who's uh, played by Tom Bosley. And he's sitting in a bar and he is drowning his sorrows. And he meets a guy called Chatterjee, who is played by another comedian, uh, Jackie Vernon. Anyway, this guy's a miracle worker, this Chatterjee. He's He's wearing a turban. He's, a, he's, he's an odd-looking chap. He's wearing a, a suit, a turban, and he's quite a chunky white bloke. Anyway, he's um, he isn't very good at his job either, this uh, this Chatterjee guy. And um, he is, uh, well, Slate is desperate, basically. He needs people, he, if he wants to continue as a comic, he needs people to, uh, to like him, and he needs to make people laugh. Chatterjee says... Uh, well, he's he's moaning and mumbling. And he, he kind of points out the fact that although he can grant miracles, and he needs to grant a miracle, really, otherwise his elders or his higher-ups will be furious with him, he kind of points out that he's not very good at them. And um, normally what happens is he'll grant it, but something wrong will, something will go wrong. Slater doesn't care. Just he, he what he knows what he wants, and what he wants is to be uh, famous, to be loved, and for people, most importantly, to laugh at him. He wants to make people laugh. So it's agreed, and it's done. And the first thing that happens is uh, the barman absolutely falls about laughing straight away at anything he says. Um, I think the line that he uses is. Um, Oh yeah, what's done? And then he's rolling around laughing, going, "Oh, what's done? That's so funny!" You know, it's quite, it's obvious that something supernatural has happened. Anyway, Slater still is rubbish at his job, but this, but now, people find him hilarious. 
So every time he'll go on stage, take his hat off or put his hat on, and there'll be roaring approval. People will roll around the aisles. And um, he's talking to his agent, Bosley, about this, and he doesn't feel fulfilled. He knows it's a cheat, and he wants to do something different. What he wants to do now is be a serious actor. So he goes for an audition, uh, meets with, uh, goes to the, basically meets with the the director. He's on stage. He stands there and says, um, you know, does his lines, and as if by magic, because of his, you know, super superpower, he makes them all laugh, and they're all rolling around laughing still, massively frustrating for him. Um, so he gets bounced out the uh, the audition. It's you know it's never going to happen. He can't play a serious role, and he once again he bumps into Chatterjee. Um, and he says that he's sick of making people laugh, and it doesn't feel real. He wants to really communicate with them. He wants to touch people and to make them cry. Chatterjee once again mumbles, ums and ah, says, oh, no, sir, and then both finally agrees. Um, and Slater sees a flower woman, well, a woman said flowers, um, selling uh, across the street, shouts a joke at her, and then starts to run across the road. Um, when he's hit, and then he's hit by a cab, basically. And the payoff is that uh, the flower settler is in tears about what she's seen. And Slate, well, Chastity's done his job, although not how he wanted to. Um, the um, the guy has been granted his wish, and he has touched people. And when they think about him now, they will cry, but only because his death was uh, tragic and he's died young. And he's obviously loved because he made people laugh. Okay, um, that's the story. Um, it is well, you know. I mean, it's a good story to be fair. Um, for those of you, well, I guess most all of you who listen to the uh, Twilight Zone podcast over uh, with Tom, um, you'll kind of realise that it's the old wish fulfillment gag which is prominent in i think it's episode 12 of season one of the twilight zone it is uh, what you need what you need is the uh, story that kind of stand it's kind of a similar kind of thing uh, that one i'm not going to go into too much detail because tom will be covering a couple of weeks in his podcast over in the twilight zone podcast but um basically it's a story about a guy who gives everybody what they need and um, it kind of plays with that, you know, the idea that, you know, what you need may not necessarily be what you want. And it might not, and what, what you, you know, what you need might be different to what I need, kind of thing. Um, with this, it's kind of a similar kind of wish fulfillment vibe, you know, like, like you know, that, that kind of thing kind of gets knocked around lots anyway, you know. Um, Monkey's Paw and all that kind of, those kind of old, old school horror stories, you know, you get free wishes, but they always kind of end up evil. It's the kind of thing you'd see on a uh, Simpsons episode, you know, the Halloween Simpsons episodes, let alone anything else. Anyway, um, so the story's good, uh, but you know, it's got um, it's 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 that kind of classic Rod Serling kind of tale where there is it's very you know character driven, uh, but with a strong kind of supernaturally otherworldly twist. Um, the problem is. 
that neither Godfrey Cambridge or Jackie Vernon are likeable characters. They're not actually proper actors and they're not able to give this role enough. Either, either role enough pathos. Certainly, Cambridge really struggles. I mean, the only time he's actually really believable, I would say, is when he's at the start and he's bombing as a, as a comedian, which is not what you want to hear, really. Um, you know, it was, I mean, ultimately, considering how much Jack Laird's hands were on everything, um, the, you know, he decided to go with, as, you know, executive producer, he's gone with comics. He thought that would work. Um, Godfrey Cambridge's style was rising. Uh, Jackie Vernon was very popular as well. Um, but they were unable to carry it off. Um, basically, Vernon's strategy is really just kind of a, a mumbling kind of idiot. He's a bit of a you know, keeping this clean, but, you know, he's a bit of a tool. Um, he's not very likeable. I mean, you know, he's meant to be someone who's disappointed and upset in his in where he is and, like, you know, just, you know, like, oh, we really want to help, oh, it always goes wrong kind of thing. Instead, he just kind of slinks around the bar mumbling about how awful his life is and then doing something quite awful to somebody even by accident. I mean, he knows it's going to be bad what he's doing, yet he, he does it anyway. It's not not like, he's not really cool. Um, Cambridge is the same. He's just... He, um... There's, you know, there's a, there has to be an upscale. You don't believe that he really wants to make everybody laugh. You know, that he's willing to make sacrifices for that. That, you know, he's really broken down. He's meant to be doing it for years, but he doesn't feel or look it. And then when he decides to make the decision to go into serious roles, that's meant to be a decision to, like, you know, kind of take control of his life again. But with Cambridge, it's kind of, he seems almost, like, petulant, like, oh, no, I want to do this now, kind of thing. And that's not really helpful, considering the fact that he's your main character, and if you've got no sympathy for what's happening to him, you ain't got much in the story at all. Um, Sterling, good old Rod, agrees with me. Um, the quote he said, um, commenting on it was, it's really a piece of crap. It almost single-handedly brought back vaudeville, which kind of gives you <laughs> exactly where his thoughts were on it. I mean, I'm not that strong, but I didn't particularly like the story. I mean, the, the way it's been handled anyway. It's a bit corny. And, um, you know, you look at some, I mean, even... I mean, obviously, the Twilight Zone itself is patchy in some episodes, and Night Gallery is up and down tonally. Um, anyway, I mean, that's part of the reason why I do set episodes, well, obviously, you know, for a lot, of, a lot of different reasons. But one of the reasons why I do this story by story rather than episode by episode is because tonally it goes up and down, up and down, and I don't want like a one and a half second segment, half, one and a half minute segment to take away from some of the great stories that are here. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, I, we take the episode as a whole as well, but in this case, you know, um, it's important to keep it as a story. Um, and obviously, the way they were filmed was like that anyway. Um, I'll go into those kind of details more in season two when we go to season two and how those were put together, which is just crazy when you think about it. But anyway... NBC, 
saw what was the, as this the episode as it stood. Bear in mind, this is directed by Spielberg, but it was Spielberg before he became, you know, the big man, as it were. Is part, still, he was still part of his kind of like assembly line TV days. NBC went mental and contacted uh, Jack Laird and Sidney Steinberg and basically demanded that Spielberg be taken off the, uh, the, the duty of being a director for this episode. And not only that, but for him never to be used again. I mean, it was ridiculously hard what they were after. Bear in mind, Spielberg hadn't even made Jewel at this stage. This was still... Well, it was made. It was aired January 1971, so it was made in 1970. Uh, Jewel obviously was made in 71, and that kind of like you know sent his stock ridiculously high. And then obviously, then you know he went into uh, cinema. But at this stage, they didn't want you know they wanted him never to be used again. Um, Laird, God love him, despite being you know quite bloody minded in in the way he worked and how he wanted things to be he um he ignored those replacement demands and decided just to do some very basic reshoots he got a genoise uh, swarik in uh, basically they just replaced the scenes uh, they brought tom bosley in to be the agent to replace a different actor um and that was it i mean that those you know bosley's great in it uh, obviously because he is great but uh, it didn't really make that much difference. The problems weren't in those scenes, I don't think. They may have been poor, but, I mean, you know, you needed to change the lead actor, and they weren't willing to do that. Um, so, but, yeah, so Spielberg got the credit, sole credit in the end, because he'd actually directed the bulk of it. He'd done enough to get, get this direction credit. It's the first time that I would say that Lerd's, Jack Lerd's decision-making process... Um, kind of caused problem, real friction. Um, obviously, he shouldn't have made the decision. He should have made the decision to get actors in. He didn't. He went for a more populist idea, which failed. And then, you know, his ability to stick to his guns is admirable, but it's an indication of what's to come between him and Sailing. I would say. Um, it's what we could have got here, really. I think in the quality of the script was uh, a version of li another like little black, black bag quite strong character based drama with mo interesting moments uh, hinging around one man instead you know it, it's very difficult to get excited about it really and honestly um, it's not the worst in this series but and um, you know I think season one is uniformly pretty strong to be fair although there are, there are a couple of missteps it's just for a story that's about being a comic it's just not much fun in truth um, what I would add is although the script is very strong and, and you know they have some great they have some great fun with quite a simple premise um, there is a pretty bad signposting issue in terms of the initial conversation between Slater and Tap Chatterjee, where basically Chatterjee says that this isn't going to end well, and you know you kind of know where it's coming. Like the the concept that people will always laugh at everything you say is is a curse and not a blessing, and you kind of know that's going to be the case early doors. So it doesn't surprise you what happens. The um, the finale, the actual announcement when it all comes together, would work if you give it monkeys about. 
the character of, of uh, Jackie Slater, to be fair. Um, it really would. It's kind of a, it would be a kind of a gut punch shocking end in which is a really night gallery stock in trade, to be fair. Big, <gasps> bloody, you know, blimey kind of endings. Um, so it's a shame it doesn't work as well as it could do. Um, next week, we're going to deal with clean kills and other trophies, which is a bit stronger. It's a bit better. Um, I'm looking forward to actually talking about that. That's another production that has some interesting things to say about it. It's um, it's the kind of thing that says more about um, sailing himself. So that should be, that should be quite good. Um, just very quickly, uh, thanks again to Tom. Uh, for hosting this and as I always say if you listen to this and not Night Gallery pod- and not the Twilight Zone podcast um, you should you should definitely listen to that it's really good it's really strong he uses um, he really guides you whereas I very much you know tell the story and then give a critique he very much guides you through the uh, the episodes and there's lots of little clips it really it really fits well together it's a really strong strong thing um, also again I mentioned um, Bodica Films, a guy called Luke, who is on Twitter, who I've been chatting to. He's written something very nice on his website, and um, I finally got a chance to check it out. Again, Tom had been talking about uh, collectorsroom.co.uk in his uh, podcast, and I finally got a chance to uh, sit down and give it a proper go. <laughs> go on over, listen, well, a watch. Is, um, they're very much in the in the feel of sailing. These are the website is video. Um, there's three episodes, like TV length episode, thirty six odd minutes of uh, uh, spooky goings on, supernatural stories from a collector's room, which is um, a nice way to link them in. They're all each object. There's a, a collector, and each object in in his collection has a has a story behind it. It's really nice. There's also um, comics. There's a comic in there, graphic novel of a, of a short story, which is very good. With some nice artwork there. And also, what I'm looking forward to most is they're going to start doing a radio series as well. Um, again, like um, I've not mentioned this before, but I love um, horror radio and um, like that kind of like ghost stories. And you know the the old um, lights out kind of. Uh, ghostly tales um, things like uh, Vincent Price uh, Price of Fear on the BBC and, and uh, you know there's a strong tradition in America of, of ghost stories on the radio uh, and I love that stuff so I'm really looking forward to listening to that hopefully they'll, they'll have a, uh, an edited radio clip out you know soon well you know later on uh, next month hopefully if you want to get in touch with me, the quickest way to get a response, as always, is through Twitter at, at orange underscore monkey. If you're not on Twitter, then leave a message on um, the uh, the website, www.thetwilightzonepodcast.com. There, there are all the episodes from myself and also uh, Tom's The Twilight Zone Podcast get uploaded there. And there's links to subscribe and all that kind of stuff. But also comments as well. So I see that uh, some people have been leaving some really cool and interesting comments and getting a bit of a debate going on uh, on some on some of Tom's stuff. So if you want to leave a message on mine, then that would be really good. Um, there's also uh, an email address at nightgallery at the twilightzonepodcast.com if you want to uh, say hello. 
and uh, leave any feedback on any episode upcoming stories uh, either emails or audio that would be really good so yeah um thanks for listening and i will see you next week for clean kills and other trophies goodbye Woo!